The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Acts chapter 8, you can remain seated. We'll go read the beginning at verse number 1, Acts chapter 8, verse number 1. We read here, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and of course his, the, the pronoun his there is referring to Stephen. And at that time there were a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed, committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and its truth. I pray today that you would help us to see the importance of the Great Commission and the, the, the magnitude of the work that must be done and help each of us, Father, to assume the responsibility for this and not just to pass it along to others, but help us, Father, to be a witness unto you in every part of this world. Thank you for this day. Now we ask you, bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, just a quick recap for those of you who haven't been in any of the study yet. Uh, we spoke about the Great Commission, and we, I gave you three points so far in this study. First, it was the expectations within the commission, and we talked about the expectations that Jesus had when he implemented the Great Commission unto his church. And we took the time to mention also that God does indeed have expectations for us. I think one of the weaknesses of our Christian faith in this generation is the fact that so many people feel that God doesn't really expect you to do anything, uh, that, that all he expects you to do is believe in him. But beyond that, you just try your best, do your best, and that'll be enough. But I just want to state clearly that God has very direct expectations upon our behavior, upon our, our, our manner of life, what we do. God has very direct expectations there, and it's our responsibility as his children to learn what those expectations are and to fulfill them. Secondly, we talked about the empowerment of the commission, so we talked about the empowering force in the commission, and we mentioned, of course, that the power in the commission is Jesus himself. And we stated two reasons why Jesus uh, had authority and why he had a right to that power. One was because he is the... He is the sovereign God. He is sovereign in all things. He's the creator God. All things were created by him and for him. And all things are, are according to his purpose. So he has the authority to expect us to obey his commission and the power to implement the commission. And secondly, we said it was because of his sacrifice for us. The fact that he shed his life a ransom for me empowers him to command me. And I have to obey. I have to obey him. Because he has that authority. It's just like in life. My, my human father. I obey my human father. I, I do not rebel against my father. I do not reject his authority in my life. I, I yield to him the authority to command me. Even at my age. I'm 56 years old. But if my father tells me to do something so long as it does not violate the principles of God, I will obey him. And that should be our attitude with the Heavenly Father as well, that whatever he expects of us, whatever he commands of us, it is, our, it is our privilege to obey him. 
is our privilege to do it. So, so think about that this morning. Are you disobedient to the Father in something? Then shame on you. Huh? Shame on you. We would think dimly of a, of a person who didn't obey his father, his earthly father. So what about our heavenly father? Even more so, we should obey him. But then, thirdly, we talked about the effectualness of the commission. And we talked about, uh, last, last time I, I talked, two weeks ago, we talked about uh, the, how effectual the commission is and that it will be done. God's will shall be done. So it's not a matter of, if I don't do it, it won't be done. But if I don't do it, I won't be rewarded. If I don't do it, I won't be blessed. If I don't do it, I will lose out. Me. God, God chose you and I to spread the gospel because he wanted to share the blessings with us. He wanted, he wanted us to share in the joy of seeing people saved. He wanted us to share in the blessings that come by an obedient life. And if we neglect the commission of God, then we neglect or, or we, we forego those, those blessings and all those things. Now next... In our study, it would seem that it becomes incumbent upon us to determine whether or not this commission issued by the Lord was limited to the Jerusalem church, or is it, or, or is it perpetuated to the generations of believers that have followed since then? If it is, in fact, limited to the believers at Jerusalem, then we have no need to worry about its implications upon us. So if Jesus is command if his commission to the, to the believers was to go and preach and teach only limit if it was only limited to that that group of believers that church then you and I have no there's no implications against us in the great commission everybody understand that however if it is a progressive command and if it does in fact continue from generation to generation without altering or without diminishing the expectations of it then you and I today most definitely need to concern ourselves with the Great Commission, with the implications of it, with the, with the effectualness of it, and all these things. This command to go, I believe this command to go and teach, is a progressive one. It is given with the intention that the church will continue the work, that the church will grow, that the saints within the church will increase in numbers, that the church and its membership will increase in understanding and will grow in strength. And I believe that the urgency of the mission uh, will intensify as time goes forward. I believe this was the, the intent of God in the Great Commission. So we must concern ourselves with the Great Commission. I think probably the Great Commission is one of the least concerned items in the Christian's agenda today. I fear that far too many Christian people have no concern about the command of the Lord to go and preach and teach. They're more concerned about, about their jobs, and certainly we should be concerned about our jobs, and they're more concerned about, about the, the concerns and the matters of life. But what can be more important, what can be more important than obeying God the Father? Can anything be more important than that? I can't think of anything more important than that. Because ultimately, everything that we worry ourselves about in this life, will, Solomon said, vanity. It's, it's, it's vain. Somebody else will live in that house you, you treasure. Somebody else will drive your car, possibly. Somebody else, if you have a nice big garden, Randy and Linda grow tomatoes, which I love, and they give me tomatoes, which I appreciate. 
Somebody else will enjoy those tomatoes one of these days, Randy. Your labor and your toil is going to belong to somebody else. Huh? All these things. So why should we concern ourselves with these things in life? God gives us these things as, in my opinion, and, and my opinion doesn't mean a whole lot, but in my opinion, God gives us these things that we might enjoy our life, that we might have pleasure, and that we might, we might have nourishment, and all these things, that we might have shelter. And God gives us all these things, and he blesses his people. But that's not his emphasis. That's not the concern of life. The urgency of the mission that we face has intensified over the years, and we must trouble ourselves. We must concern ourselves with this great commission. So today I want to, I want to go, go on to number four in my study, and that is the augmentation of the commission. We're in Acts, and we should be at chapter 8. Let's go back to chapter 1 together, if you would. Acts chapter 1. Now, by the augmentation, I mean the increase or the growth of the commission. Not that we are changing it, not that, that we can affect its, its, its effectuality or, or that we can affect its, its implementation or its purpose, but, but we are increasing the effort as God's children. So Acts chapter 1, let's look at verse number 6 together. We read here, When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. In other words, all these guys running around trying to predict the end of the world, quit wasting your time because God, God only knows what's, what's going to take place. But when you shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. Here we see that the Great Commission, from this statement of Jesus, is not limited to just one individual or one group of believers, for it is very easily understood that Christ would not have expected these individuals gathered together around him to reach the uttermost parts of the earth in their lifetime, right? Why would Jesus tell them to go into the uttermost parts of the earth if the command was strictly for them? Because Jesus himself understood and realized these people would never be able to reach the uttermost part of the earth in their lifetime. Therefore, any rational mind can grasp that this mission is both global and progressive. It will take many generations of believers to fulfill its calling and its purpose. And we're still working at it today, amen? In fact, even today, with all of our technological advances, this task of covering the globe with the gospel is a daunting task. Now, I do want to be careful here to stress that our augmentation of the commission given by Jesus is not altered by us. In other words, we don't alter the commission we don't change it. We don't, re, we don't re-examine it and reissue it. The expectations remain the same. The authority is not altered. The effectualness is not compromised. We are not attempting to improve upon God's plan. As God's children, we simply need to implement his plan. So by our implementation or by our augmentation of the Great Commission... 
what results can we as God's church and children expect to see? Well, first of all, I think that we, if we are, if we are obedient to the Lord and if we are effectual in doing the work that he's called us to do, number one, I believe that we will see the exponentiation of the messengers. The exponentiation of the messengers. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 7, we read, And the word of God increased, and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Did you see that? That the word of God, the preaching of the word of God increased by the, by the church of Jerusalem getting out there and witnessing and being a witness for Christ, which led to the number of the disciples in the church multiplying greatly. And even, even some of the priests and some of the religious leaders were, were convinced uh, of, of Christ and the Holy Spirit convicted them and they joined in on the faith. The gospel message had its beginning in a very small area of the world. The surface, of the, uh, surface area of the earth is 510 million square kilometers, not miles, kilometers. The earth is a water-heavy planet. So if you break its surface area into water and land segments, this is what you would have. The land would occupy 149 million kilometers squared, while water occupies 361 million kilometers squared. This is not a geology lesson, but uh, I I need to uh, get this point across to you. Now, the area of the promised land in which Jesus ministered is 200, I'm sorry, it's 21,671 kilometers squared. So of the 149 million square kilometers of surface area of land, Jesus only walked upon 21,000 of it. And he didn't even walk every bit of it. That's just the land of, that's the promised land, the land of Canaan. The land of Canaan then equates to one ten thousandth of the earth's surface. Now, I see none of you jotting this down, so I assume you don't care or you know these facts. So let's say, let's say, for instance, that the Jerusalem church occupied an area which was one ten thousandth of the earth's land surface. So, in other words, there was ten thousand times more surface on the face of the earth than there was where the Jews were living. Oh, I'm sorry, actually it's 100,000. In other words, if one generation of God's children, considering the Jerusalem church, if one generation of God's children could reach their own area of the world in order to spread the gospel to the entire world, it would take 10,000 generations of God's children. This is the math that's involved. Sounds like an impossible task, right? Sounds like it would be impossible then for one little group of people to reach the entire world. So obviously Jesus is not asking the church of Jerusalem to preach the gospel in the uttermost parts of the earth, but he's involving even us today. In Mark chapter 10, verse 27, we see in Jesus looking upon them, saith, with men it is impossible, but not with God, for with God all things are possible. We must remember that we serve a God... to whom nothing is impossible. When we face our biggest problems in life, that's nothing for God. 
And, and as a church, when we sit here and we, we consider and say, oh, we're not growing, we, there's no hope for us, with God, all things are possible. We just need to, we just need to be obedient and stay busy. We need to talk to everyone we see, uh, tell everybody we meet about, about God, about Jesus and our church, and God will add to the church. You see, part of the problem is people, people get to thinking they have to do the work. We don't have to do the work. God only asked us to open our mouth and talk. Most people, you can't shut them up. Huh? I wish when God created men, he'd put an off button on them. Huh? I love Erica. She's my daughter, but Erica talks nonstop. I told my wife, I said, where's the off switch? She said, there isn't one. Yeah. We all talk all the time. But what do we talk about? Well, we talk about sports, or we talk about our IRA accounts, or we talk about something else. But we, how often do we talk about Jesus? The work of the Great Commission cannot be done by a few. It takes all the people of God. It takes all of us working in the power of the Holy Spirit. Only then will we accomplish God's will and work in our life. And this is the logic of God. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 12, Solomon states, And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Here, here the Lord talks about, about the unity of God, of his people. And the more of us that work together, the, 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 the more effective we will be. Shouldn't be just the pastor going out on visitation. Should be all of us. Each one of us assuming the responsibility to take an hour in the week, just one hour a week, grab a stack of tracks and go, go find a, a, an apartment complex or something where it doesn't say no solicitation and you will be shot on sight and something like that. And go start knocking on the doors and say, hi, I'm from Berean Baptist Church. And I'm just out here to tell people about my church today. Do you attend church? That's all you got to say. That, that starts the conversation rolling right there. They'll say, no, I don't go to church. Oh, well, let me tell you about our church. Maybe you can come visit sometime. They may say, yeah, I, I, I was born Roman Catholic. I say, oh, so was I. But God will forgive you for that. And you can strike up conversations and talk to people. Now, again, don't think for one moment that you or I can thwart the efforts of the Lord. However, so much more can be done when all of God's people work in harmony and for a common purpose. Two will become four. Four will become eight. Eight will become 16. And et cetera. And in 30 generations, you can produce over 5.3 million. Wow. Isn't that interesting? I do this math with the kids in school all the time. You start with one penny and double it every day. And at the end of 30 days, you got over $5 million. Oh, easy way. To, I ought to start a pyramid theme, Pastor, and get out there and make millions of dollars selling that plan to people. How incredible would it be if Berean Baptist Church could over influence over 5 million people in 30 generations. Now, of course, we pray the Lord will come back before then. But what if he doesn't? What if he tarries? 300 years from now, will this church still be here? If the Lord tarries, will Berean Baptist Church still be standing 300 years from now? And if it is, what, a, what, what, a, what excitement would it be if, if our church continually in its generation, year, generation after generation after generation, impacted this area with the gospel? That would be incredible, wouldn't it? Well, wouldn't it? Well, it all starts with one. It all starts with one person determining, you know, says, before this year is out, I'm going to win someone to Jesus. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to keep visiting, keep visiting, keep visiting until I find someone that the Lord 
will save, and, and I'm going I'm to disciple that person. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to bring that person into this church. You know, Brother Jim Love did that with uh, Jorge. Brother Jim visited Jorge and visited him and talked to him and talked to him until finally Jorge got, got saved, and Jorge came to church. Now his wife's here and his children here, and now he's a deacon in our church, and he's out visiting and witnessing to people, and that's how it happens. It starts with one person saying, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to win someone to the Lord. The Lord is going to grant me the privilege of seeing someone say, I'm not going to save them, but I'm going to, I'm going to bring the message that they will hear and will receive and with joy and gladness will serve the Lord. That's what it takes. That's the exponentiation of the messengers. And that's the purpose of the Great Commission. And that's our responsibility. What are you doing? What are you doing in your life to bring that one person here? And then when you, after you brought that person, don't sit back and say, well, I'm done. That's it. Glory is my reward. No, that, you get that one, you bring them in, you say, okay, you, you okay now? Okay, good, I'm going to get another one. And keep at it. And that's the process, folks. God doesn't tell you, go out and win 10,000 people to the Lord. He says, go out and find one. Just one. And the Lord will add to the church daily, such as should believe. So if we're faithful to augment the Great Commission in our generation, we can expect to see the exponentiation of the messengers. We can expect to see the increase of the children of God. But then, secondly, we can expect to see the establishment of the ministry. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, we read, And he gave some apostles, and some prophets, and some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, there are lots of churches in America. There are, there are thousands, probably hundreds of thousands, maybe even millions. I don't know. Across this nation. But how many ministries are there? Hmm? I mean, I mean how, much, how much of the work that's out there is serving the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ? Oh, there are lots of, like I said, there are lots of churches and there are lots of, there are lots of groups who call themselves churches and there's lots of activity going around and there's lots of things happening, but are they happening in the will of God? Are they the purpose and will of the Lord? A church that hopes to be, consider itself a ministry is one that is established and rooted in Jesus Christ and is doing the work of the Lord. It's one that is a witness unto its community. It's one that, it's one that, and by the way, by, by the nature of it, it probably won't be the biggest church in the town. Okay? I'm just going to tell you that right now. I got nothing against big churches. I'm not insulting big churches. But more than likely, a, a church that is a true ministry and is truly preaching the true gospel of Christ and is effectively and actively witnessing to the community probably will not be the most popular church in town. It probably won't be the biggest one. But I guarantee you it's the biggest one in the eyes of God. And that's what we want to be. Solomon told us that there is nothing new under the sun. And why should there be? Why does the devil need to change his tactics? He doesn't have to because they, they've been working. They've been working since Adam was on the earth. He doesn't need to change his tactics. And when it comes to failing ministries across America, the same thing that hindered God's people, even in the days of Haggai, still exists today. 
Turn with me to Haggai chapter 13. Oh, chapter 1, I'm sorry. Did I project that on the screen, Eric? Okay, well, let's just look at it there because it may take you too long to find Haggai. Haggai chapter 1, begin reading in verse number 3. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Ye have sown much, and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe ye, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. In Haggai's day, they, they found time for leisure. Well, we have, lots of, we have lots of time today to go play volleyball, to go play basketball, to go play softball, to go play soccer. You know, when I was, when I was raising my children, I never did involve my children in community sports. Never did. Sometimes I think back and think, well, should I have done that? You know, should I have denied my children the opportunity to play softball or, or to play baseball? Or should I? Absolutely, I should have done it because those things take place in confliction with church. There is nothing I ever involved my children. And I'm not perfect, please. I got lots of errors and faults. But there, I involved my children in nothing that would possibly take them away from church or that would emphasize anything other than Christ. And there are so many Christians today, and I hope I'm not stepping on any toes, but if I am, all I can tell you is move your feet to a different place and we won't step on them. And I don't mean leave the church, I mean stop doing what you're doing. There are so many people that have so many things that conflict with church, and what do they do? Who suffers? Who gets left out? Do I need to answer that question? Somebody says, well, your child can't participate in this program unless, unless they're here on this date. Well, then, bye-bye. Because my kids are going to be in church on Sunday. They're going to be in Sunday school. They're going to be in church. And they're going to be in the evening service. They're not going to be in Sunday school and then leave for church because they've got to go play some sport or, or do something and then come back. And they, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that. I wasn't going to do that. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. You may, you may come to me and say, well, you're wrong. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll agree to disagree. But I tell you what, in Haggai's day, they found lots of time for leisure. They found lots of time to go to the beach. They found lots of time to go hiking. They found lots of time to play, to play sports. They found lots of time to, to sit at home and watch the big game on TV. But no time for God. They found time and for convenience. They built their houses and they made their, they worked overtimes and made their money and built their houses and, and sealed their houses. That means that they took their houses and, and put veneer on the walls and the ceilings and made the interior of their homes so beautiful. You know, I'd, I'd like to have a nice house. I really would, but not at the cost and the expense of serving the Lord. I'd like to drive nice cars. Unfortunately, thankfully, the Lord about nine years ago gave me one. And I'm trying to milk it and get everything I can out of it. You guys, some of you guys know what kind of cars I used to drive. I mean, good grief. I had a, Janet was driving my car one day and traffic officer stopped her and he looked at that car and just kind of, out of pity, let her go. <laughs> it had a cracked windshield, the taillight was out, it was, the registration was expired. And he just kind of looked at that car and said, tell your daddy to get these things fixed and let her go. I like all those things, but you know what's most important? What's most important is serving the Lord. And I'm not trying to set myself up as an, as an example. Please understand that. 
But if, if we are not examples, then what are we? I'd rather be an example in, in, in righteousness than an example in, in un- unrighteousness. These people in Haggai's day, they, they found resources to, to wainscot their houses and to line them with boards of cedar. They loved to sit in their houses, indulging themselves in luxury and indulging themselves in ease and slothfulness. But they found no time for the house of the Lord and no resources for the house of the Lord. God's house was barren. It was, it was unfinished. It was un, uncared for because the people of God would not give to the work of the Lord. They withheld from God that which was meat. I feared that too many believers today are consumed by these same things, by the cares of this world. Too many have plans and aspirations that do not take into consideration the work nor the will of God. I've seen people leave this church and move to areas of the country. And again, as I've told you before, there's no sin in moving. But I'm going to tell you right now, I would not move my family anywhere that I, if I did not know there was a good church of God there where I could serve the Lord, where I could have my children under the right doctrine and teaching so that they could grow to know the Lord God, their Savior. We have so many concerns today. We're more worried about our jobs and our Lord. Didn't God, did not God say that he would provide for you, that he would care for you? Do you not trust him? You exhibit a lack of faith and trust in God when you, when you, when you sacrifice biblical principles in order to maintain a, an occupation? Is not God, does not God own the tattle, cattle on a thousand hills? Cannot he provide, cannot he turn, uh, uh, stones into bread? Cannot he, cannot he produce, uh, feed five thousand from, from five loaves and three fishes? America doesn't know the power of God. America has no idea what the power of God is. Because we haven't, we haven't seen it. We haven't seen the power of God in America. Got people come up to me all the time because they got some raise or they got something and they say, Oh, God is so good. I got news for you. God was good before you got that. I got news for you. Your circumstances don't determine the goodness of God. The fact that you are alive today, breathing, and are a child of God is good enough. What more need you? God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't need anything else. And I'm going to tell you something. As a nation of people, until we get this mentality, we're going to do, we're going to, we're going to do nothing for God. We're just going to play church. I got off teaching and went to preaching. Oh, yeah, these, these people in Haggai's day, they were happy people. They loved their... They love their comfort. They love their ease. They love, they love the greetings in the marketplaces. They love to have people say, ooh, look at you. But they had no time, nor energy, nor resources, nor concern for God. And that's where we are today in America. There are too few today that desire to fulfill God's purpose in their life. We are more concerned today as the people in Haggai's day with our own comfort with our own pleasure, then we are concerned with obedience to the word of God and obedience to his will. I'm not, again, I'm not trying to set myself up. I hope today I didn't give you the impression that I've arrived at all these things. Because I, certainly more than anyone else in this church, 
I deserve no consideration for anything. God is so gracious and God is so good to allow me to have anything to do with his work. If you knew me before I was saved, you wouldn't have liked me. Maybe you don't like me now, I don't know. But you wouldn't have liked me before I was saved. I was a cruel, hateful, violent, mean individual. And some may say, you still are. (laughs) And you're probably right. But I do know what I am. I'm a child of God. I don't do those things anymore. I don't drink alcohol. I don't listen to rock music. I don't do the things I used to do. I don't run with the people I used to run with. I don't do any of those things anymore. And the reason I don't do them is because I'm a child of God. And he has made me a new creature. And I don't need to do those things. And I'm not enslaved to sin anymore. I've been set free. Why would I want to go back and enslave myself to that which Jesus shed his blood to set me free? We're more concerned today with the, with the cares of this life and the cares of this world. We play church, we play church, listen to me, we play church one day a week. We come to church on Sunday and we sing holy, holy, holy. We come to church and we sing, oh, how I love Jesus. And the rest of the week we have no care, no concern, no obedience for God. We live our lives of rebellion. We live our lives of sin. We concern ourselves with all the things that apply to me and nothing that applies to my neighbor who may be suffering, who may be hurting. We play church once a week. And that's going on all across this country. And that's what people call ministry. But let me tell you something. When we, when we become what we need to be, obey the Lord, when we augment the gospel in our lives, when we get out there, when we concern ourselves with the will of God, and when we work and labor in the church, then we do indeed establish a ministry here in this place. The term minister is best defined as servant. And we are to be servants first. Let me make a statement. I don't know if I put this on the screen or not. The augmentation of the Great Commission cannot be carried out unless we, God's children, are prepared to put the work of the ministry ahead of our own agenda. Did I put that up there? Thank you. I thought I did. Did you see that? The augmentation of the Great Commission cannot be carried out unless we, God's children, are prepared to put the work of the ministry ahead of our own agenda. Now, I am not saying that we need to neglect our families. You fathers in this room, don't neglect your wife, don't neglect your children, and you want to be fathers in this room, want to be husbands. I'm like, Paul, why would you want to, why would you want to do that? I don't know. I love my wife. I'm glad I'm married, but I wouldn't do it again. Uh. Yeah, I'd be like saying, oh, I got shot. Boy, that's nice. Let's do it again. Shoot me in the other one, would you? I'm not saying to neglect your families. In fact, in Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. And we should, as husbands, we need to look to the things of our needs of our wife. We need to care for, nurture, and love our children. And we need to do the same for our fellow man. 
Now, how are you going to convince me or how are you going to convince God that you love your neighbor if you're not willing to go out there and try to help them? Hmm? If we really love the lost, if we really love our neighbor, then we'll get out there and we'll help them. We won't sit in our house and knowing that our neighbor is unsaved and say, well, you know, I sure hope he hears the gospel. I sure hope he gets saved. Well, go talk to him. Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's by your voice that the Holy Spirit will speak to him. Maybe it's by your actions. We were created to serve God. That's why we were made. We were created to glorify him and serve him in our lives. And I've said it before, and, and this, isn't prob- this isn't popular, and maybe, maybe you don't agree with it, but if you're not glorifying God with your life, I don't care what you're doing, I don't care how much money you got, I don't care how big a title you got, I don't care about anything in life, if you're not glorifying God with your life, then you failed, because that's why you were made. That's why you were created, to, to glorify God. And by the way, I'm just as big a failure as you are. Because we, none of us can say we glorify God at all times in our lives. So we fail. Shame on us. And it's not okay. And God doesn't understand. Don't hide behind those two excuses. Because God expects it. He demands it. And that's why he sent his son to this earth. So we can do it. So let's do it. We can only find true happiness when we are filling the role of a servant in our life. Now, if that clock is right, it's 10 till, and I'm going to shut up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. I pray you bless your word. Thank you for it. Thank you for all those that are here. Bless the next hour. Bless the preaching of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.